Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with thy most gracious favor, and further us with thy continual help, then all our works begun, continued and ended in thee. We may glorify thy holy name and finally by thy mercy obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so as I did four years ago, well, actually four years ago, I did a four-part series on predestination uh, and election. And even before I get started, let me say that I'm going to use those words uh, interchangeably, uh, predestination and election, to mean the same thing. Uh, In a certain sense, however, they can have different, a little different meanings. Uh, uh, Predestination meaning that uh, everything happens with God's knowledge and and predetermined, as Jesus said, not a sparrow falls to the ground without my Father's will. So that, in that, in essence, he, he's talking about predestination. But when predestined, I'm going to be using predestination in the sense as it relates uh, to our salvation. And in, in that sense, then the predestination as it relates to our salvation will be called uh, election. So if you know. Predestination is the big, the big, the big umbrella, and election being a specific uh, part uh, of what that predestination is. So I hope that that makes sense a little bit, because already someone has asked me, "What is the difference?" Well, that's about as good as I can explain it. So I'm probably using it interchangeably, but what I'm talking about, uh, I'll not be talking about predestination also in the general sense, but specifically, uh, I'm going to concentrate on concentrate on election. Now, since that first series, and that was my my second year here, that was 2006, and since that time, I've had <clears throat> quite a few people ask for my notes, and I was glad to give it to them, although there are a lot of run-on sentences and, and broken sentences and, and, uh, and typos and all kinds of stuff. I'm not sure that notes made a lot of sense. And also, a significant amount of people have, have asked for another series, uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, to do this. Uh, as uh, it's, it's understandable that it does create a lot of interest uh, because it is one of the most uh, intriguing, m- mystifying, and I should say with quite emphasis, misunderstood, uh, and then therefore as a result controversial of all doctrines. Our salvation is certainly not determined on how well we grasp it, how well we understand it. Our salvation is not determined whether we believe it or not. Uh, then, so we say, well, why bother? Well, you know, I, for those of you who were here last Sunday with Mark Genelette, you know, he talked about certain things he'd go to, to, to have it beheaded over, and, uh, and, and I asked him if the election were one of those, and, you know, he, he kind of, were you here for that? When I, and he kind of paused and said, well, he said, uh, without election, without having a, a, a real grasp of the doctrine of election, the Bible will fall apart. Uh, and I understood what, what, what he was saying. Because, uh, and what he meant was that, that, why did God choose Israel? I mean, you know, God out of nowhere, in the 12th chapter of Genesis, he calls Abraham uh, and uh, establishes the nation of Israel. Why them? Why Israel? Was it any kind of inherent worth that he saw? No, I mean, certainly not. Now, as we read the story on, there was no, did they show, did Israel show any particular potential? You know, as, and, and Abraham kind of asked, and he says, because I chose you. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it, it's God's, it's, it's a mystery as to why Israel was chosen. But nevertheless, it chose. And in a sense, though, we, we are, 
is you read the Bible and you read about the big picture, you can manip- you can work its way down to you because it's called Bart once says the Bible has two chief characters, God and you. So when you read about Israel, when you read about one of the ancient kings, when you read about some of these people, even as a groups of people, uh, you can substitute yourself in there. We are, in a sense, little Israels, if you want to kind of like put it that way, in a sense to being elected. And I'll, I'll get into this. But at any rate, I'm ahead of myself. This is a little Assyria is backed by popular demand. It's not like the telephone's been ringing off the hook. But, uh, <laughs> but, enough, but enough people have, have asked that I said, well, okay, it's been, it's been five years, so, so let's run it again. Uh, and if, if this is your first time uh, and you're not sure uh, about, about what we'll be talking about, I do hope that you will, I know it's summertime and people are coming in and out, I know that, but I do hope that you'll go ahead and commit to, to the whole series. I'm going to try to do it in three. If we need to go four, we'll go four. Try to do it in three. Kind of commit to the series before making a decision. You know, like you're saying, come out, well, I just can't believe that stuff. But uh, before making a decision, uh, try to make all of the sessions because I can guarantee you that some questions slash uh, objections will come up. But what I can guarantee you is they're, they're the same questions and objections that have been expressed uh, since the beginning of, since the beginning of, of creation. Uh, and at the very end of the series, the end of the season uh, series, I promise that we will uh, save some time to talk about where you're really concerned, to talk about where you really have questions. The most important thing for me, and as I said, I'll repeat this with great emphasis, the most important thing to me is what the, does the Bible teach? That's the most important thing. I have absolutely, and I mean this sincerely, I mean this in all humility, I have absolutely no interest in giving you my opinion about, what, uh, about this, what, what I want to do. Uh, and my goal is to probe deeply into the very heart of the Bible uh, and see what it teaches uh, about election. So as I did five years ago, I'm going to begin with just a few basic, kind of real, very basic fundamental facts. And the first, probably the most basic fundamental fact is the is that the entire human race needs to be rescued. The entire, <clears throat> excuse me, the entire human race needs to be saved. The, the entire human race needs to uh, find a way to be justified, justified uh, before God. And it's amazing, really, if you want to know the truth, it's amazing uh, how many Christians don't even get there. Uh, they, don't, they don't get to that starting place. And if you don't get to that starting place, then I can guarantee you election is not going to make, it's not going to make any, uh, it's, it's not going to make a lot of sense. Uh, just about every heresy that I've ever known, uh, if you've read Fitzsimmons Allison's book, The Cruelty of Heresy, uh, he certainly makes the point. But, but every, every heresy, at least that I've ever been familiar with, and every heresy that's famous in church history, uh, began with, with a, a pusillanimous, and I'm so glad I can use that word now, began with a, <clears throat> a, pusil, a pusillanimous, maudlin, weak, watered-down doctrine of the human uh, condition and, and, I, and, a, and a, <clears throat> weak of, uh, a weak understanding of who we are uh, as sinful human beings. But like it or not, <clears throat> I will say without any reservation, that the Bible teaches us that the entire human race, borrow none, uh, needs to be uh, saved from the wages of sin and the wages of sin uh, is, is, is death and separation, uh, alienation from God. <clears throat> so the question then, uh, 
is what's God going to do about it? And I'm assuming that we're we're not talking. You know, if you're an atheist or something like that, then then I mean, you know, there's no no use in even talking about this subject. But you know, assuming that there's a God and that God cares about us uh, and God knows us, then what's He going to do about it? Uh, there, for, all the options are open. He could, quite justifiably, not do anything. Uh, in that first scene in the Garden of Eden, uh, when he, when Abraham, when Eve and Adam were going off on their way and being lost in the garden, you know, he calls out, "Where are you?" He, you know, he cared. He called him, called him back. You know, what are you doing? Explain yourself, please. He didn't have to. He just let him go. And then I don't know what the Bible, the story of the Bible would have been thereafter. It would have been a story of human self-destruction uh, from there on out. But he didn't. But all the options, he could be justified in just saying, okay, uh, uh, I'll just let you go your way. Uh, you know, you knew the ground rules, and these are what the ground rules were, and you didn't do it. So, doggone it, I'm sorry. He could have done that, and justifiably so. That's the first option. Second, he could save all of us. And that's just, you know, kind of a unitarian, uh, universalism kind of way. Some of you have read his national bestseller now, Rob Bell. He's got this national uh, bestseller book a lot of people are reading. I don't recommend it. It's, uh, it's because Rob Bell doesn't understand election. Now, someone said, well, what? it's a bestseller. It's a religious book. Why don't I have it in the bookstore? <clears throat> well, like it or not, and, you know, notice an email me because I've fought this battle. When someone comes to me and says, I need, a, I need a book from a neighbor, I need a book from a graduation, I need a book for a friend of mine, what we want now, what we have strived for over the years I've been here is to working uh, an inventory that we can say without any reservation, just go into the bookstore, go for it. I don't have to say, yeah, be careful of that one, be careful of this. If you want Rob Bell, go to Barnes and Noble. Noble, what we have here are books that reflect what we believe, and that's it, that's okay. So anyway, that's, that's enough on the bookstore. Rob Bell's book, uh, is, you know, God, he, he, he could save us all, and that's what he, he, he did. Uh, or, that's the second option. He could save none of us. He could save all of us. Third option, he could save some of us. That would be, I don't know of any other options. And then some people say, well, yes, he saved some of us, but that was conditional, called a conditional election, which we'll get back to in a minute. Conditioned uh, upon our uh, passing, uh, making the choice for Jesus. In other words, we passed the test. We got a, we got a test here. Uh, you can or you can believe or you can not believe. So I'm calling you, do you respond? So if you pass the test, and if you do, then God saves you. Well, suffice it to say, we believe that the Bible teaches us that God saves some of us and that that was, that, that that was unconditional and it was based on God's, uh, on God's election. Now, hang in there. I, I know the objections, and I know that those of you who are wrestling with this the first time, I know good and well exactly what you're thinking. Uh, and how in the world could you know? That's very, I just don't believe. Well, again, I, and, and, and in my opinion, thus again, I'm not wrestling with opinions. I just want to tell you what the Bible teaches. So let me. And another thing, I'm sorry that I don't have a PowerPoint. You remember I was praying for that person listening, Clemson. Well, that person is Jane, and she does my PowerPoint. And, and she was supposed to do this before she left, and I forgot, and I forgot. It. But anyway, next week I will have a handout. So I apologize for that. Just try to hang in there without without. A, something to look at. Let me just read uh, a couple of verses from Ephesians. Try to listen. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us, or destined in your translation. He predestined us in his love to be his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will and to the praise of his glorious name, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. That's one of the many passages we'll be looking at throughout there. But that decision to save some of us is called uh, elections. Let me, just, well, let me just read to you. A lot of people don't think that election is very much part of our Anglican heritage. It, it's, it, more than, it's, it's in our 39 articles. And if you go to page 871 in your book of Common Prayer, you can see the article 17, is the name of it is Of Predestination and Election. Now, I'm not going to read it all because it's, uh, well, it's very 16th century language. It's heavy language. You can, get, you can get bogged down in it. But let me just read a couple of sentences to show you where, what our tradition is, and I'll talk more about other traditions. Predestination to life, again, which we would call election, predestination to eternal life is the everlasting purpose of God, whereby before the foundations of the world were laid, he hath constantly decreed by his counsel secret to us to deliver us to deliver us from curse and damnation those whom he hath chosen in Christ out of mankind and to bring them by Christ to everlasting salvation as vessels made to honor him now, second paragraph first sentence the godly consideration of predestination and our election in Christ is full of sweet pleasant and unspeakable comfort that is if you can hang in there and, 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 and grasp it, if, if you'll hang in there long enough to grasp it. Now, I, now th- this, this reading from Ephesians, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us in his love. This is so profound that I think it's just hard for us to absorb it. Uh, listen to the way Charles Spurgeon put it. In the very beginning, when this great universe lay in the mind of God, long ere... The echoes awoke the solitudes before the mountains were brought forth and long ere the light flashed through the sky, God loved his creatures. When space itself had not an existence, when there was nothing save God alone, even then, in that loneliness of deity and in that deep quiet and profundity, his very being moved with love for his chosen ones. Their names were written on his heart and then in the fullness of time, he purchased us with his own blood. Now, that was from Charles Spurgeon. Someone asked Spurgeon, by the way, if, did, he, did he really believe, he was a Baptist, did he really believe in election? And he answered, he said, well, I am sure that the Lord chose me before I was born uh, or else he would have never chose me afterwards. <laughs> famous, famous comment uh, by, by Spurgeon. Now, election is, is commonly referred to as uh, reformed theology. If you get, you know, people, if you ask with Heidi Kenner, she was explaining to someone one day, well, tell us about you at Advent. She said, well, we are orthodox, reformed, and, and then she went on to explain who we are. It's so, it, meaning that uh, we believe the 39 articles. That's what it means. Uh, we are, it's, it's called reformed theology. It's also called Puritanism. It's called predestination, as I, as I mentioned. But more than anything else, it's called, what, you know, Calvinism. And isn't that interesting? And I will be referring uh, uh, to the, the doctrine of election uh, 
or predestination. I won't be referring to it as Calvinism because we're not here to study Calvin. What we are here is to study what the Scripture uh, says about election and what it, what it says about what we're to believe. It was actually St. Augustine, who is probably the most famous of all of our church fathers, 4th century, uh, Rome, is St. Augustine who took the Scripture and argued for election, uh, excuse me, not the 4th century, the 5th century in 400, whatever. Uh, it was, it was, it was uh, St. Augustine that first lifted it up as one of the uh, premier doctrines that we needed to understand if we were going to fully understand the gospel. And so, I mean, I've been called a Calvinist before, and my own response is, well, if I'm a Calvinist, then St. Augustine was a Calvinist, and he lived, you know, centuries before Calvin was ever born, so go figure. But uh, Augustine argued for election because he had a reason. He, he, was, he didn't necessarily just want to do it. He was because there was a, a now famous uh, heretic named Pelagius. Uh, and, and, and Augustine w- was, was out to prove that Pelagius was wrong. And Pelagius and his followers said that the effect of the fall uh, at the beginning of the Bible uh, was that of a bad example, primarily. It wasn't something that was kind of psychogenetically transmitted uh, from Adam down, uh, through, uh, down through human history, but it was, the, more than anything else, it was an example, uh, it was uh, primarily that of a bad example, and that therefore man and women, you and I, without divine intervention, could choose uh, to ignore the bad example, could choose to believe, uh, choose to obey God. And so Augustine countered with that, with what has now come to be known as total depravity. Now, again, you've heard that before, St. Augustine's understanding of total depravity. Uh, and, I, and I know I sound like a broken record, but I was talking to a bishop not, not, too, not too long ago, and I mentioned total depravity. He said, well, I don't really believe that stuff. I said, well, why is that? He said, I just can't believe people are all bad all the time. That's not what total depravity means, Reverend Sir. Uh, in, all, in all humility, <laughs> what, what that means, uh, and I want to say, where did you go to seminary now? Exactly. <laughs> uh, what, that, what that means is that there is no part, total depravity means there's no part of our human nature that was not affected by the fall. And that would include our minds, our conscience, exclamation point. People say, let your conscience be a guide. Be careful. You know, it's your mind, uh, your conscience, uh, your heart, uh, and also your freedom to choose has all been affected by the fall. Uh, and it creates the absolute necessity for divine intervention. Do you all see the movie Robert Duvall, Get Low? All right, you go to American Movie Classic, and for $4, you can, you can click it on. You know, you know how to do that on your TV and just rent it. I'll just, just do it. I think it's a great movie. Robert Duvall is one of my favorites, but this movie is so good. But there's that one scene where, uh, where, uh, the, where the black minister is, is coming in to do Robert Duvall's funeral. Robert Duvall's not dead yet, but he insisted having him a funeral before he died, which, uh, <clears throat> which is, I won't go into the plot too much. But at first he said, I can't do it. I can't come. I, I don't know anything good to say about you. Uh, and, uh, and, but he does come, and someone asks him, says, why, do you, why did you decide to come? He said, well, this, this, whole doc, this whole understanding of free will is grossly overstated. That was his answer, and I just froze it right there and said, play that again, play that again. Uh, at any rate, uh, Augustine responded to Pelagianism 
uh, with his, his, his idea of, of total depravity, which means that we're so, we're so bound by the effect of the fall that we are not able, without divine intervention, uh, to become sons and daughters of God. This is known by John. And those who believed in him became sons and daughters, uh, uh, became his sons and daughters. So, but it, but I, it wasn't just Augustine, by, by the way, who believed in uh, uh, election. Among the reformers, the English reformers, there was, uh, there was, there was just about complete uh, uniformity. Uh, Martin Luther, Zwingli, Knox. And if you're into reformed theology, you know all these names. William Tyndale who was the first to translate the Bible from Latin into English. Certainly Thomas Cranmer, who is the author, pretty much the author of the, of the prayer book, as we know it, at least in right one. Uh, they were all deeply rooting, rooted in the understanding of election as the starting place for understanding the full scope uh, of, of grace. Uh, that, that, that was important. And as I read here in the 39 articles, it's certainly part of we are. So among the, among the world's greatest the, theologians is is as part of uh, a Protestant theology, we will say, uh, there was widespread uniformity. The Swiss, the Germans, the Dutch, the Scottish Reformed churches, which later became the, the Presbyterians. You know, they are the ones supposed to be, you know, yeah, well, you're Presbyterian, predestination. I said, well, I mean, how about the Anglicans? I mean, yeah, us too. And the Congregationalists and the Baptists. Uh, I, I find that the Southern Baptists are often very much surprised uh, to learn that their founding fathers uh, were uh, in agreement with the doctrinal election. Then comes along in the 16th century a guy named uh, 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 Jacobus Arminius. You've heard of that name Arminian? You know, you got Calvinists here, you got Arminians there. Uh, people believe in election in Arminian. Well, th th along comes this guy and in the 16th century, <clears throat> and he began to express reservations about the doctrine of election, and he has some objections to it, just like our objections or to it when you first get into this and we just scratch the surface. That's why we've got to have more than one series in there. We've got, to get, we've, got to get, we've got to get below the level here and get to the objections. But Arminius' uh, objections are just like they're very natural. Uh, like uh, why in the world would God create some people for salvation and some people not for salvation? We'll be talking about that. Why would God? It's called double predestination, which is not so. That's, that's just not part of the deal. But we'll talk about what they call double predestination. If God predestination some for election, then God must predestine some uh, for, uh, that, that, he, that he's not choose. Uh, we'll talk about that. And then the other objection is that, well, God wouldn't create puppets. You know, God gave us free will. We're there to use that. We'll be talking about that. These are objections that Arminius in the 16th century uh, brought up, the same objections uh, that, uh, that, that come... Uh, very natural to human reason, and we need to understand that. But here's uh, what Arminius basically said. He said, first of all, we have free will completely, and that man is never so controlled by sin that he cannot respond to the gospel, and neither is he so controlled by the Holy Spirit that he doesn't have the power to resist. That's the first thing. That was Arminius. That neither, neither one, neither so controlled by sin that he doesn't have the power to choose, neither is he so controlled by the Holy Spirit that he cannot resist the, the, the uh, invitation to, to come. That's the first thing. The second thing that Arminius said was what he called, yes, he, you know, he, he read, Arminius read, every heretic had a Bible in his hands. 
believe me, every heretic had a Bible in stand. So he read Ephesians. He read what predestined to love. And they said, well, yes, but that's conditional election that the Bible is teaching. It's conditioned upon God foreseeing, before the foundation of the world, God could foresee that George Eliot would choose Jesus. And so, therefore, you know, that, that, that's the kind of election that he's talking about. So that's, it's called conditional election. Uh, and the emphasis here is on human responsibility. Of course, if you logically press that, uh, then ultimately then salvation uh, would depend on human action. Uh, but uh, th that's one of the... And the, the other thing, uh, uh, as I said, uh, uh, is that the Holy Spirit can be resisted, as I, I think I mentioned that, that the Spirit's work is never so powerful that the individual will uh, can uh, not... Uh, the Holy Spirit work is limited to that which the human will permits. And then finally, one can lose one's salvation. Uh, the believer must keep himself in the faith, uh, and failing to do that, you will fall from grace. Now, again, you may first agree. Say, well, I agree with everything that. I have friends that say, well, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm Arminian then. Well, the Dutch church responded to Arminius, and Arminius gained a lot of followers. So the Dutch, in 16 and 18, held a big synod where all the, all the key players, Anglicans, the, uh, the, the Scottish, the Presbyterians, all the key players of, of, the, of the Reformation uh, attended the Synod of Dort uh, to, to study and to respond to Arminius. And the convocation took seven months and 150 sessions. So you're talking about a long church conference here. And they responded to what, to what Arminius was teaching uh, in, in uh, one, two, three, four, with four major topics of rebuttal. And we have an acronym that we can remember that by. Anybody know the acronym? We can remember how they responded? Tulip. Okay. He starts with total depravity. See, Arminius says, well, we're not totally depraved. Uh, the fall was, that's not what the fall was about. The fall was a bad example, and we can overcome if we just are determined enough and pious enough and good enough uh, to do it. Well, the Dutch and everyone at the Senate of Dort uh, responded with Tulip, and the first one is total depravity that original sin has corrupted all parts of human nature, the mind, the heart, the conscience, and the freedom to choose. If you've read Luther's book, The Bondage of the Will, you'll, you'll know what the, the synod was all about, because Luther was before door. Uh, and another one is unconditional election. Not conditional election, not election conditioned upon our response, but unconditional election, where God's election or choosing is not based on any disposition, not any faith, not inherent holiness, not in anything except that it was God's free choice. And then it had something called a limited atonement. That's where we get in trouble. A lot of people say, yeah, Christ died for all, yes. But he said, all that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So that his atonement, his, his, what he accomplished on the cross, uh, ultimately, as for, fee, for people who became his sons and daughters, uh, and, uh, and so therefore it's what we call limited atonement. Sounds cruel, I know it. But Rob Bell, in this book I told him that, we talk about unlimited atonement, that Christ died for everybody regardless. And then finally, perseverance is the same. Tulip, 
total depravity, unconditional U, unconditional election, L, limited atonement, P, perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. Now hang in there. I know that there's a inveterate prejudice in, in, in the human nature uh, to, uh, against the, the, the doctrine of election. But let me just say one more time, these are the same objections that have been made down through the centuries, and we're going to be looking at them one by one. But Arminian uh, theology, uh, it comes very natural. And I would think, I, mean, I could be wrong, but I think we would all naturally lean toward Arminianism. And I don't believe anybody could ever come up with a doctrinal election. I think it is so astounding. The whole idea is so astounding. Uh, but we believe that in election, God has revealed something uh, uh, that, that we need to understand or should understand in regards to our salvation. And we must bother with election because they are crucial to, to understanding the gospel itself. So it's not a, this is not a fringe thing. This is right at the very heart uh, of, of, of our understanding of God and our understanding of our, of our bondage and understanding of our sin. When you think about total depravity, uh, I think of uh, Paul's, and when he put it in blunt and dark terms when he said in Ephesians 2, verse 1, uh, you, he, God made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sin. That's Ephesians 2, 1, if you want to mark it. And you, God made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sin. And the theologians at Dort saw that the Armenian problem with election is they, that, that they didn't give full credence to that verse. So a lot of other verses around it. That, and that we're not like dead people. Uh, that, and, and so uh, they didn't buy into that, which would make election necessary in the first place. I mean, did man fall all the way? Is he completely in bondage or just part the way? And the Bible teaches us that we were dead in trespass. Jonathan Edwards, you know, the great, the great author Jonathan Edwards, uh, he, he likened us to spiritual corpses who were unable to respond uh, to God's quickening us. Kind of like Lazarus, you know, that Lazarus in the grave. I mean, that's who we are. You know, when Joseph, I mean, when, when Jesus, uh, Lazarus is dead. He's been, what, dead for, you know, it's John chapter 11. He's been dead in, 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 the, in the coffin for four days there and, in the sepulchre for four days, and, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is made alive, uh, and, and he comes out. You know, we would have a whole different story there if Lazarus said, no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I, Lazarus came out. I, I'm going to argue that Lazarus had no choice. But, uh, it, it, but according to what Jonathan Edwards is saying, it would be kind of foolish for me to go uh, into a funeral home to ride out so, and start preaching. Uh, to people about making a decision for, for Jesus. Some of the corpses are dead, uh, and, uh, and they must be made first uh, alive. And I realize we have a pulse, and I, leave, I realize we're standing here. I know a thing about, we're not, well, about the puppets. We're not puppets, I know. We'll talk about that in a minute. And you have to, if, you don't, if you're not going to stay for the whole series, then you've got to at least listen to the last series, because I'm going to be talking about accountability. Are we going to take accountability and just chuck it? No, we're not. And that's the amazing thing about the whole thing about election is we ain't going to chuck that either. Because surely the Lord said to Joshua, and Joshua said, uh, choose this day whom we shall serve, but for me and my house we will serve the Lord. I mean, did we, did we just chunk all that? Well, hang in there, please.
but, but, but at least from the spiritual end, I want to say that from a biblical, from St. Paul's understanding, we are kind of like zombies. You know, and a zombie is, is dead people walking. You know, we eat, we sleep, we drink, we play golf, we uh, play bridge, we go to our meetings, uh, we laugh, we cry, but we're dead. That's what St. Paul teaches. We're dead in our trespasses, and only God can give life to the dead. He calls us like he called Lazarus out of grave. Uh, he, he gives life to the dead, uh, and uh, he brings them to that which before they had shunned and feared. So tulip is the problem. Total depravity. Uh, we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's First John 5.19. We know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, tulip's the problem, and the, the ULIP, the U-L-I-P, is the solution. And some of us say, well, I don't need to study ULIP. All I need to know is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son to all that believe in him. I should not perish but have everlasting. That's all I know, and that's all I care. But you see, the bigger question is, okay, all who believe in him, where did that belief come from? Because following St. Paul's teaching is, is that that belief is pure gift. Listen to the Apostle's word in Ephesians 2, 2 through 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, but this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest, lest any man should boast. So uh, even our faith is a gift of God. I mean, you're here in this class right now listening to this, wrestling with this, thinking about why you're here. You have to think about that, you know, because I, cho- I know you because you chose to be here. I know it feels that way. But why, why are some of our friends home reading the Birmingham News or out on the golf course? And I got friends on the golf course. I don't mean to belittle that. But I'm, right now I got a friend that's playing a tournament, and but he promised to... Uh, to go to, he's going to go to 5 o'clock. And uh, <laughs> he's going to listen to this. But uh, I mean, why? I mean, you know what I'm getting at. Why are you here? I mean, you prayed this morning. You got on your knees. You confessed your sin. Why? I mean, do you, is, it, it, you're, you, you're a professed Christian. Why is that? Do you think because you have a little bit more insight than someone that's not? That you're a little bit more clever? That you're a little bit more uh, open? That you're a little bit less prejudiced than some people or other? I'm going to argue for, in the next couple of Sundays, I'm going to argue for the case that you are here uh, because God plucked you and that God called you here. Uh, we're standing on holy ground. I mean, I know I, I can't completely understand it, but I can proclaim it, and that's what I'm going to do. And we're going to be talking about all these other things. Uh, but I will say this, that election gives all the glory to God, 100% of the glory to God. An Arminian can give 90% of the glory to God, but not honor. An Arminian can give 95%. An Arminian can give 99% of the glory to God, but he's got to hold back about that much because I made the right decision. You know, and I was talking to one of my clergy friends as an Arminian. I said, well, you must, you, must, you must feel mighty good about yourself. With that. I, he took issue with that. And I understand and he quoted me, Acts 17.30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He commands all people to turn to his son. So he's saying, there it is right there. He commands. He's not controlling them. Well, he also commanded us not to covet. 
but we don't do that either. And so the, the question that we're studying here is, how, what's God going to do about our inability to, to uh, command all men everywhere to repent? What's he going to do about our inability to love God with all our heart? Not most of our heart, all of our heart. What's he going to do about that, that difference? What's he going to do about our inability to respond? Well, and so I came back with another verse in Acts 13.8. Listen to this verse. Now this, this is, uh, he's describing the results of Paul's first missionary trip uh, to the Gentiles. Acts 13.48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. <laughs> I've rest my case. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. I know that I've just scratched the surface. I know that. I know there's the issue of accountability. I know there's the issue of human responsibility. Uh, are we going to chuck that away, as I said? No, we aren't. We're going to talk about it. I know there's an issue of why would God choose some and why would God uh, not choose others, which I think is a, a kind of a, a superficial understanding of what election is saying. You know, I, uh, This may not completely rest your mind on this. I just think if, uh, if there was a, a big gymnasium full of people and God was calling everybody to stay, but... Everybody said they would leave. Everybody, just mass exodus. Everybody left. God was saying, please don't leave me. But everybody left. But God chose this guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. He pulled back. Even against, he's pulled back. Now, the question, I, I know, but the question is, did God uh, predetermine that everybody would leave? He didn't do that. What he did is call some people back. So this, that's not double predestination. Uh, it was the fall. That's, that they left. They left since the Garden of Eden. And he pulled some back. So predestination is a one-way ticket. It's this way. It's not that way. It's this way. So don't buy pre double predestination. It doesn't work that way. Does that make sense? I don't know if it makes sense or not. Sometimes it makes sense to me and sometimes it doesn't. But... But and then why evangelism? If all this is true, then why preach? Why preach? Uh, why preach? Choose this day whom you will serve. Why? Why? Why, why preach the gospel if everybody's already predetermined anyway? Why preach it? I'm going to talk about that too, because if I think if I was very clear about that, and so I, I hope uh, to see you. I've intentionally not allowed any time for questions because, because <laughs> I, you know what? I really and truly, I, you know, if you're if you're like me and you, and you're totally perfectly human, there's a whole a lot of questions which you would want to wrestle with with this thing, and they're legitimate questions, and we're going to wrestle with them. And in the final analysis, we're going to bow our heads in humility and say that it's, it's a mystery. That's going to be the final analysis. So. My email address is gibbes at cathedraladvent.com. R-H-E-I-D-I at cathedraladvent.com. That's it. Let's go forth to the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God.